Oh, good evening, Evie Free. How are you guys? You guys doing well? Can I, can I get a show of hands real quick? How many folks are following the NBA playoffs right now? Keep your hands in the air if you're following the NBA playoffs. Uh, keep your hands up if you're absolutely 100% stoked that the Oklahoma City Thunder advanced against the Spurs. Now we're talking. Now we're t- Listen, I am born and raised Oklahoma, and we don't have a lot of teams. We don't have a lot of things. We don't have a lot of people in Oklahoma. And so if anything good happens in Oklahoma on the national scale, I just want to bring attention to our state. I just want to say, you know, there's a couple of us out there that are doing good things from Oklahoma. Josie, don't go too far. Jesse and Josie. I want you guys to come here real quick. Come to the front real quick. We don't normally start off this way, uh, but yeah, all the way to the front. All the way to the front. Uh, we don't normally start off things this way, but we have a, a set of interns that go through an internship program with us at EB Free, and they give so much of their time, uh, not only to serve the local church, but to really put themselves in a furnace of growth uh, and to give above and beyond. And at the 5 p.m. service especially, We've been so blessed to have Jesse and Josie faithfully serving not only here on stage leading, but also in the booth, helping us to worship and making sure that lighting is right. So uh, if you guys have been blessed by Jesse and Josie leading us, can you just give them a round of applause as a huge thank you. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. We bless you. You guys are great. We'll see you soon in about 25 minutes. Uh, Well, uh, good evening. It's so good to have you here. Uh, We are in the middle of a series called On the Road with Jesus. Uh, Whenever we open the gospel accounts, we consistently find Jesus moving through the territory of Israel. And the gospel accounts, uh, they unpack all these interactions that he has with various people throughout the land. And every time we open the text and we find these interactions, we we get a more clear look into the life of Jesus into his teachings, into what Jesus is really like. And if you're gathered here this evening at EV Free, we, we believe that the best kind of life is found in discipleship to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said it himself, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, that you can have abundant life. The message translation says the real kind of eternal life, the kind of life that starts here and now and continues with us on to the other side of the grave. And so at EV Free, when we gather together on Sunday evenings, we gather together to see Jesus more clearly, to look at the way that he would talk and the way that we would interact. And it's our hope and it's our prayer and it's our trust that will be shaped by it that will be formed by it, that there's something about the text and the people of God gathering together that actually changes us. So today we're in the gospel of Luke chapter 19. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. If you grew up in the church, uh, this was a popular tale you probably learned in Sunday school. If not, this will be your first time hearing it, but hey, That's still good. Uh, This is Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. The text says, And Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So Zacchaeus ran ahead of the entire crowd, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was moving that way. When Jesus reaches the spot, he looks up to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter and to grumble amongst themselves. Look at Jesus. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood tall and said to Jesus, Look, look, Lord, here and now I give half of all of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus is amazed and says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too, this man Zacchaeus is a son of of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We think tonight these words by the power of the Holy Spirit have the opportunity and chance to change us. So before we go any forward, before we go forward any further, can we pray together? Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your scriptures that in them is life that they are dynamic and they are active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit and bone from marrow. Uh, Spirit, it's our prayer tonight that we wouldn't leave here the same, but we would leave here with a firmer resolve and a firmer yes to you, to put our allegiance in you, to put our discipleship towards you, to follow you more closely this week. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and do what only you can do, which is to change us and to shape us and to form us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, has anybody in here ever done uh, the love languages test? Just by a show of hands, uh, if you've done the love languages test, uh, if you haven't done it, we're going to just walk through them briefly. If you take this test, they say there's about five love languages, and they aren't as much compartments as much as they're a spectrum. Uh, They say the love languages are quality time, uh, they're acts of service, they are words of affirmation, uh, they are uh, gifts, and there's one more. What's the fifth one? Physical touch. Now, now, just by a show of hands, uh, in the way that you give and receive love, how many of you feel like words of affirmation is your jam? There's nothing more you like to give and to receive than words of affirmation. Listen, I'm in the same camp with you guys. Like, I'm easy to please. You don't have to do anything for me. You don't have to buy anything for me. Just call me on the phone. Tell me I'm awesome. And I'm just going to be so thankful. I'll be, and we'll be best friends for a really long time. Uh, how many of you love acts of service? Like, you're just like, listen, when people do things for me, that's my jam. Listen, you guys are high maintenance. You guys always need your friends to do things uh, for you. How many of you are quality time? You're like, listen, we don't need to talk. We don't need to hang out. No acts. We just need to be together. You guys are super, super time consuming. Uh, so if you have a friend that's quality time, uh, be careful. How many of you are physical touch? You love a back rub. You love a neck rub. A, a few of you, yeah, listen, I'm with you. I love a good massage now and again. Uh, how many of you are, are gifts? You love to give and receive gifts. 
physical, there's like one of us over here. There's another one in the back. You guys are crazy. You're absolutely crazy. I, I, I'm not, I, I've taken the test a couple times and gifts is at the very bottom of my list. I don't like to give gifts and I don't like to receive gifts. In fact, when I get a gift, it makes me nervous and I'll be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And I, I make sure to not open it in front of them because I always just feel like super awkward because I might not like it. And if you've ever opened a gift in front of people and they're like, oh, <laughs> what is this? You know, like, it's, like, it's like a horrible, it's a horrible space. So, so like gifts is not one of my love languages, but it is my mom's love language. She lo- I mean, you could just treat my mom really poorly all year, but at Christmas time, if you get her a gift that she feels like is from the heart, she's just gonna be so thankful. She just gushes over gifts, and she loves to buy gifts. Even to this day, she'll pack me up like goodie boxes. I'm 30 years old, guys. I'm 30 years old, and my mom will still pack up goodie boxes and send it to me, but I still treat it like a gift. It will, it will stay sealed from U, UPS in my room for weeks. And she'll call me, Austin, did you get what I sent you? I'm like, ah, not yet. I'm afraid to open it. I might not like, you know, I might not like it. I don't like gifts. But I remember being young, uh, my mom wanted to make sure that I had the reputation of a good gift giver. Anytime there was an opportunity to give gifts, she wanted to put me in prime position, especially when you're young. When you're young, you don't actually have the money to like buy gifts or to buy things to make gifts with. So if you're in elementary school, uh, some of you remember Valentine's Day. In Oklahoma, during uh, Valentine's Day, uh, everybody would bring like a white uh, lunch bag to their classroom. They'd, they'd tape it to the chalkboard and everybody would bring like candy and Valentine's Day cards and they, they would put it in the bags. So they do that in California as well. A few of you know what we're talking about. Uh, my mom would say, how many folks are in your class? I'd say, there's about 25. She'd say, okay, we need to go out and buy 50 pieces of candy and 50 gift cards and we need to put them in every single bag. I'm like, mom, that's a little overboard. We don't have 50, we have 25. She's like, Austin, you have to get good at get, uh, giving gifts. The same thing would happen at Christmas time. She'd say, make a list of like your 10 best friends. So I'd, I'd make a list of my 10 best friends and then we'd go out to Blockbuster, which is a throwback, flashback Blockbuster. And we'd buy these like $5 gift cards for all of my friends. And then my mom would drive me around from house to house, knocking on the door, giving these gift cards. And my friends would say, oh my gosh, you're so awesome. I was like, I know, I am so awesome. I'm, I'm such a good gift giver. My mom really wanted me to have the reputation of being a good gift giver. I have really bad news. I'm a horrible gift giver. Like, it, it's not only that one of my strengths, I have a difficult time remembering birthdays. If I were quizzed on the birthdays of my immediate family right now, I might walk out 50%. Like, it's, it's, it's really, really bad. It's gotten to the point where at times, uh, I will, you know, I'll, I'll give money to my sister to buy gifts for the people in my family at Christmas time. Like this is a real revelation into like, you know, how Christmas works at my house. And so I will show up because I live in California. Christmas is in Oklahoma. I, I show up and it's Christmas morning and my brother might get the gift and he's like, oh, awesome, this is from you. I'm like, oh, that's really big. Chelsea, what'd you, what'd you buy him? And he starts to open it. He's like, I wonder what this is. I'm like, so do I. <laughs> Like, I, I'm, just, I'm just bad at giving gifts, and it, it's been a reputation that I've developed. But that's not the only reputation. I've had, I've had plenty of reputations throughout the 30 years of me being alive. Uh, when I was in junior high, my reputation was that I was an athlete. 
I played football, basketball, baseball. I ran across country. When I was in high school, my, my reputation uh, was that I played music. I played piano, and I played guitar, and I wrote songs. In, in college, my reputation was that I was a missions guy. At our school, you kind of found the, these pods of people to run with, and I ran with the missions folks. Now some people might say, I have a, I have a reputation for teaching. But, but all throughout my time living in various stages of life, I've had different reputations. Sometimes they've been great reputations. Sometimes those reputations have been less than I really wanted them to be. Sometimes I had a reputation and deep down I felt like, man, I don't know that I could actually live up to this reputation. I actually don't know that my my character has caught up with my reputation. For some of you in here, you may have been in the same boat. For some of you, you may feel like, man, I've got a bad reputation and my character's even worse. Like, that can be a position we find ourselves in often. And oftentimes, when we come to the local church, we come with our reputations. The reputations that we've been developing over the years. And some of those reputations we're really proud of, but we're also fearful of them because we don't know if we can live up to the reputation. For others of us, we, we walk in here knowing that we carry a bad reputation, And that reputation may be warranted and it may be unwarranted, but the fact is that this reputation is the reputation we carry. And oftentimes when we walk into a local church, when we walk into a relationship with a community of faith, that's one of the biggest insecurities we carry, is the insecurity of what are people going to think of my reputation, but not only people, what does God think of my reputation? Like if Jesus really knew what my reputation was, how would he respond. When we come to this passage in Luke chapter 19, that's, that's precisely the situation that we have. In the first two verses, the author makes it very clear that Zacchaeus has a horrible reputation. Now, in the first century, if you were a tax collector in Israel, you had a bad reputation for several reasons. One, you were considered to be greedy Uh, Tax collectors had the reputation of not only taking what they were supposed to for the Roman government, but taking a little bit extra to line their own pockets. In fact, when tax collectors would make their way to be baptized by John the Baptist, they'd say, in response to baptism, John, what do we do? John would look at the tax collectors and he'd say, simply only take what you're supposed to. Don't take more and begin to line your pockets with it. Uh, Tax collectors had a bad reputation because they did business with the Romans. They were oftentimes on Gentile territory and on Israel's territory. They handled all kinds of currency. And in the first century, when you would do this kind of thing, you became what they would call unclean. You were unclean because they considered you anti-Israel. You didn't back the agenda of Israel. You didn't back Torah. You weren't faithful to the scriptures. And so in that day, if you were a tax collector, you had a reputation for being greedy, for being selfish, and for being unclean. But the text says that Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, which means that not only is his reputation bad, it's even worse. He's at the top of the pile when it comes to greed and to selfishness, and to being unclean. So the text says that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector and that his reputation precedes him. He's very wealthy. And if you're a wealthy person in first century Israel, they didn't have economic tears the way we do. 
They didn't have lower, middle, and upper class. They didn't have lower middle class, middle middle class, and upper middle class. They had, you are either very poor or you are very rich. And the rich were less than the 1%. And so in this scene, you have Zacchaeus who's wealthy. He's a chief tax collector. And, and he's around an entire crowd of people that are following Jesus. And the testimony of scripture is that most of the people that followed Jesus, simply because most of the people in the land at that time, they were poor. And so Zacchaeus immediately, he's, he's kind of, on the outskirts, but Jesus has this reputation. He has a reputation of treating people with a bad reputation with great grace and with great favor. And so he wants to see Jesus, but the text says that he's too short and he can't see. And maybe as he's trying to see Jesus and trying to ask people, hey, can you move so I can see? The people are saying, absolutely not. Why would I do anything for you. You're greedy. You're selfish. You're unclean. You aren't faithful to Torah. Why would I let you close to Jesus? Jesus is for us. He's not for you. And so Zacchaeus, he makes plans to see Jesus. He thinks ahead and and he begins to run down the road, maybe a quarter or half a mile, and he finally finds a place where he can find some elevation. He finds the sycamore tree and he thinks to himself, if I can get up in the sycamore tree, I can see Jesus. And I know that Jesus looks upon people with bad reputations, with favor and with grace. So he climbs the tree and there's this span of time in which we actually don't even know how long it is. But it says eventually Jesus makes his way to the tree and he looks up at Zacchaeus. You can imagine Zacchaeus at this moment, he may be a little nervous. Is Jesus going to keep walking? Is he going to call me out? Is he going to embarrass me in front of a crowd of people that already don't like me? And as soon as Jesus looks up, he sees a man who's probably dressed in fine linen, in fine robes, in fine clothes, knowing this man isn't a normal peasant of Israel. He's not a normal carpenter or a farmer. This is a chief tax collector. So Jesus sees a man with a horrible reputation in Israel. And Jesus is surrounded by people that hate people that don't have a good reputation in Israel. And Jesus completely disregards his reputation. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, Come down here immediately. Make haste. Be zealous about the way that you come down out of that tree because I have to come stay with you tonight. We read a a definition of today and tonight. The only definition is not yesterday and not tomorrow, which means that Jesus wants to do something now in the present. And in the first century, when, when you invited yourself to stay in a place, to dwell in a place, to be a guest. You could be there anywhere from one to three to five to 21 days. But because of hospitality codes, you would, you would bring people in for as long as they needed to be. But Jesus makes no remark about, listen, I'm going to come have coffee with you for 30 minutes. I'm going to have dinner with you for an hour and a half. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, today I need to come dwell with you. 
I need to go back to your house with your wife, with your kids, with your extended family, with your estate, with your possessions, with everything that you own being a wealthy man, I need to come and stay with you. And the text says that Zacchaeus zealously jumps out of the tree. And it says that he receives Jesus with joy. Here's a man with a horrible reputation. Surrounded by people that don't like Zacchaeus because of his reputation. The kinds of people that wouldn't even let him see Jesus. And here is Jesus being true to his reputation. Being the kind of rabbi and the kind of teacher that looked with grace and favor upon people with a bad reputation. And so here's Zacchaeus receiving the invitation of Jesus with great joy. And then the people around him, they, they begin to grumble. They begin to complain. Why is Jesus going with this sinner? Why is Jesus going with this tax collector? You, you can imagine the, the rumble of the audience growing louder and louder. And they may have even said something like this. Jesus, he's not with us. He's not pro-Israel. He's not faithful to Torah. He isn't even a son of Abraham. In the first century, it was so important to be able to claim yourself as being one that was a son of Abraham. It's part of the grand narrative of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God presents his solution to the problem of evil. And that he's calling out a man and his family to bless them. But not just to bless them, but to bless them so that they will bless the entire world. And from that point forward, the family line of Abraham is always in jeopardy, but it's always growing. And by the time you get to the first century, it's so important to be able to claim that, yeah, I'm a son and I'm a daughter of Abraham. I'm part of the people of God. I'm part of the people of promise. But Zacchaeus, he isn't one of us. He doesn't act like Abraham. He isn't generous like Abraham. He has a bad reputation and he isn't for us. You can imagine the, the shame of Zacchaeus is growing. In a sense, he knows that he's busted. He knows that his reputation precedes him. And when Jesus comes to his house, he's going to find all kinds of wealth, all kinds of possessions, all kinds of land, a giant estate. And so it says from the text that Zacchaeus stands up which is an interesting thing to note because maybe this entire time from the moment uh, Zacchaeus hops out of the tree, he's been at the feet of Jesus. The text says that Zacchaeus stood up and he says, Lord, from at this very moment, I'm going to give half of all of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, if I have wronged anyone, I will pay them back fourfold. And the crowd maybe wonders, how is Jesus going to respond to this? Jesus knows that we don't like that he's invited Zacchaeus over. This man has a bad reputation. The crowd may think, we've got Jesus. He can't possibly accept this now. The text is that Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he says, wow. Salvation has come on this house because he too 
is a son of Abraham. Whenever you read the gospel accounts, you consistently find John the Baptist, Jesus, and Paul all alike redefining what it means to be a son of Abraham. At one point, John the Baptist says, you can't just say that you're a son of Abraham because God could raise up sons from these rocks. At one point, Paul says, uh, the people of Abraham are like an olive tree. And God's doing something new because he's taking branches that weren't previously a part of the family and he's grafting them in. And here you have Jesus again saying, this man too is a son of Abraham. And that salvation has come to his house. That, that word for salvation is the word sozo. It means to be healed. It means to be restored. It means to be renewed. It means to thrive. And then he says, for the son of man came to seek and to so-so the lost, to heal, to restore, to make new. You see, the thing about sin is that sin isolates. For Zacchaeus, he's completely isolated from the crowd. He, he can't get in to see Jesus to the point where he has to run forward, climb in a tree just to see Jesus, and it's a result of his greed. It's a result of his selfishness. In fact, whenever we read the Christian scriptures, one of the things that we find over and over again is that sin isolates people. It isolates them from their coworkers. It isolates them from their family. It isolates them from their friends. It isolates them from the people of God. In fact, the scriptures would say it isolates them from God. But when we talk about salvation, when we talk about healing, when we talk about repentance, it's the idea that people are getting rid of their isolation and they are joining the community of God. They're making strides to be restored and renewed and redeemed. And Jesus says that people don't save themselves, but the Son of Man saves people. The Son of Man restores people. The Son of Man heals people. The Son of Man renews people. Which is a fascinating idea because for Zacchaeus, what he thinks is he thinks that he's been seeking after Jesus. He thinks that he's the one that's been trying to find Jesus. The crowd is surrounding Jesus. He's trying to make his way through, but people won't let him. So he thinks he wants to continue to seek Jesus. So he runs forward and he climbs in the tree and he waits just to see Jesus. But the big reversal of scripture at this point is that Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. This man who had been completely isolated consumed in his greed, consumed in his selfishness, carries a horrible reputation. This rabbi, Jesus, has been seeking him. It reflects the idea of the parable of the prodigal son, that the son develops a horrible reputation by asking for his inheritance early, by running off to spend the inheritance on wild living by reaching a point where he is poverty-stricken and eating from the trough of pigs. And the son thinks to himself, I need to go back and I need to seek out my father. Maybe he'll take me back. And what the prodigal son finds 
as he goes back to seek out the Father, is that the Father is waiting at the edge and the boundary of the land, already looking for his Son. See, the text makes radical claims, like we love God because he first loved us. We seek after God because he first sought after us. We pursue God because he first pursued us. This is the phenomenal thing about this passage is that Zacchaeus has been tricked in a sense. Unknowing that the entire time that he was seeking out Jesus, Jesus had been seeking him out. And that's also the good news is that whatever reputation you bring into this room this evening, you bring in a reputation that you've been carrying with you since elementary school, a reputation you developed in junior high, a reputation you crafted in high school, a reputation that was given to you in college, a reputation given to you in the workplace or by your spouse or with your family, or your coworkers, regardless of the reputation that you bring into this place, no matter how bad it is, Jesus is pursuing you. Jesus is seeking after you because Jesus comes to seek out and to save and to heal and to renew and restore the lost. So if you're here this evening and you feel lost, you feel frustrated, if you feel stalled out, if you feel broken, if you feel like darkness is all around you, the good news is that Jesus is seeking you out. Jesus is pursuing you this evening. It's the reason we gather in places like this. It's oftentimes our prayer in the back before service is that, Jesus, you were here long before we were. And before you decided to come to church tonight, Jesus had already decided to meet you here. It's the reason we gather together to worship and to pray and to read from the scriptures, to remember that Jesus is seeking out people with horrible, bad, gnarly reputations to heal them, to restore them, and to renew them. Let's pray together. Father, we pause for just a moment. Absolutely surprised, absolutely astounded, absolutely caught off guard by the unbelievable grace that you extend to your people. That Jesus, you came to seek us out. You came to heal us. You came to renew us. Jesus, you came to save us. And so, Jesus, we want to we respond this evening. And so with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I just want to take a second to pray for a couple folks in the room. If you feel like this evening you walked in with a bad reputation, you walked in with a hurt or a habit or a hang-up that you just feel embarrassed by, you feel like you, you can't let God see it, you feel like he's going to be embarrassed or ashamed of you or, or, or scold you. If that's you and you want prayer of a reassurance that Jesus is for you, that he's seeking you out, if you can just raise your hand, I just want to pray for you. We're not going to ask you to stand up. 
I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to pray for you. I see those hands. I see those hands. You can put your hand down. Father, I pray for everyone that just raised their hand this evening. That the weight that they carry, we, we know that it's heavy. But Father, you said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light and that you are seeking us out to save us. So Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you.